0: Well, as we continue to worship, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. We're going to focus in this morning on verses 1 through 3 in the book of Jonah. If you're visiting with us, we've been working through the book and seeking to understand God's purposes for us as we think about the life, the journey, the mission that God has given to Jonah uh, and even that He has given to us. So as you turn there, let us turn to the Lord one more time in a word of prayer as we declare our dependency on Him in all things, especially as we desire for Him to transform our inner man. Let's pray. Father, what a glorious thing it is for us to be able to sing that Christ alone is worthy. Even as we've seen throughout the book of Jonah, the point of Jonah is not necessarily to point to Jonah or even to point to ourselves. It is to point to the Lord Jesus Christ the Savior of the world. Even as we saw last week, Jonah's time in the belly of the whale was intended to point us to Christ's time in the belly of the earth. As we think about Christ's death on the cross for our sin, as we think about His resurrection to new life, Father, we come here and we celebrate this joy which is given to the world, this joy of freedom from sin. This joy of a God who does not leave us to ourselves, but sends the Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior, to take on flesh in order that He might die a death in our place and live a life also in our place. And so, Father, would You continue to do Your work in and through us as we seek to know and understand Your Word through Jonah. We're so thankful for it, and we pray this in Your name. Amen. Well, last week we were together, we saw the sovereign power and purpose of God in salvation. That is to say that God exercised His great might and authority over creation in order to rescue Jonah from the depths of his sin and the inescapability of his situation. Everything in this story lends to the reality of God's sovereign ability to reach down into Jonah's situation and to save him. From the storm to the fish to the length of days that Jonah stayed in that fish, all of it was under the direction and control of the Lord. Secondly, Jonah was not only rescued by the sovereign power of God... But as we saw, he was brought through everything in his life in order that he might be a better vessel to take the message of God's grace and salvation to the Ninevites. God was using everything in Jonah's life. Yes, even his rebellion and sin to teach Jonah a message of grace. In order that he might be able to preach that message of grace to the Ninevites, God saves us, and he saves us for a purpose that we might be vessels of his grace to those around us. Furthermore, those things which God uniquely saves us from often become our greatest passion. In preaching to others, in Jonah chapter ten verses or Jonah chapter two verses ten through three one, we saw the God's sovereign power and purpose in salvation. As we move on in Jonah chapter three verses one through five, we see God's means of salvation. You see, God is absolutely sovereign in salvation and being the author of salvation. He chooses the means to implement that salvation. Means that often seem to us as ineffectual. And yet, in the hands of God are effective to accomplish salvation. What are those means, you may be asking this morning? It is the Word and faith. More specifically, it is the proclamation ...of God's Word and the exercise of trust in God's Word as it is declared. The Word and faith are the ongoing means that God uses to save and to sanctify His people. From Abraham through Jonah, even unto the church, God saves through the preaching of His Word... And the trusting of his people in that word. Now as I sat down this week to begin constructing this sermon on the means of salvation. I began to notice so much more in this text. And that has been one struggle that I've had throughout the book of Jonah. Is being able to cover all of the things that Jonah declares to us about the character of God. And so as I sat down to study this passage, I realized that there was no way I was going to be able to fit all of these things into my main idea of the means of salvation, which we see in Jonah chapter 1, verse 5. And so this morning, we are going to take a little detour. This morning, what I want us to see from Jonah chapter 3 verses 1 through 3, are three what I would call mini-sermons. Now, just so you're sure, those three sermons won't be the length of any regular sermon. That's why they're mini. And so we won't be here all, all morning this morning, but I trust that God has a message for us in each one of these things as we see Jonah's life unfold. Each one says so much about Jonah and the God he and we serve. Each one has so much application for our own lives. And so I didn't want to just pass over these things this morning. And so let us read together Jonah chapter 3 verses 1 through 3 and we'll jump right into the first mini sermon from this text. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 through 3 says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey in breadth. The first mini-sermon that we see from our text this morning is this. Your whole story matters. If you're following along in the insert in your bulletin, that's your first fill-in. Your whole story matters. What I want us to see here is the importance of Jonah's whole story. What would happen if we just picked up the book of Jonah in chapter 3? Let's do a little exercise this morning. Try to put out of your minds all that you have learned about Jonah in chapters 1 and 2. And just listen to Jonah 3 verses 1 through 3 as if it were your first time encountering the story of Jonah. Listen to Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now aside from the slight confusion that you may have learning that the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, if this is all you knew about the prophet Jonah, you would probably think to yourself, hey, he's a pretty stand-up guy. The Lord called him to a ministry to Nineveh, and he picks up, and he goes to Nineveh according to the Lord. The word comes to Jonah And Jonah immediately obeys the Lord and goes to Nineveh. Sounds like a pretty good prophet. But you would understand, especially as we understand, that that's only part of the story. And in order to understand the fullness of God's grace to Jonah, we must not only read Jonah chapter 3, we must also, beloved, read Jonah chapter 1 and 2. Therefore, what is my point? My point is this. We should not be ashamed to tell the whole story of God's grace in our own lives. This dovetails a bit with the point I made last week about Jonah's failures preparing him for ministry to the Ninevites. But here is the principle that I would like to impress upon your hearts this morning. Your failures are just as important to your story as your victories are. Let me say that again because it might sound very contradictory to our success-driven, achievement-obsessed culture. Your failures... If you're writing things down, you might want to write this sentence down. Your failures are just as important to your story as your victories are. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in my second point, but what I want us to see this morning is that Jonah does not just consist of Jonah chapter 3. An integral part of Jonah's story is chapters 1 and 2. The failure of Jonah to obey God is just as important to the story of grace as Jonah's final obedience is. And so my point in this mini-sermon from Jonah chapter 3 is to not sell your own story short. You see, we are so prone to only show the good side of our Christian life we don't want to share our struggles we don't want to share our failures we want to put on a happy face we want to come to church and we want to say to all that we encounter man isn't life just swell when's the last time you heard that word But that isn't reality, brothers and sisters, and you and I know it. Each one of us are going through our own hardships. Each one of us have had devastating failures this past week. And beloved, let me propose to you that those are just as important to your story as your victories in Christ are. Are we as a church willing to bear one another's burdens even as we share in those victories? Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. Are we willing as a church to weep with those who weep even as much as we rejoice with those who rejoice? Romans chapter 12, verse 15. You see, the Apostle Paul teaches us this very important reality. In several places, we see Paul share his very own testimony. Not shying away from his violent and vehement opposition to Christ and his church, even casting his vote to murder Stephen. If you would turn with me to Galatians chapter 1 so we can see this. Galatians chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 11, it's on page 913 in your chair Bible, if you are following along in that. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 says this, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. To Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God I do not lie. Verse 21. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us, is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. Verse 24, and they glorified God because of me. You see, the victory that Paul enjoyed and the glory that God received because of it was directly commensurate with the depths from which Paul was rescued. Paul once sought to destroy the church of God, and now he was strengthening and promoting it. Glory be to God. Amen? And so what we see here is that our struggles and even our disobedience gives us a platform to declare the glory of God in our salvation. This also leads us to the second sermon that I think is important from our passage. Not only does your whole story matter, but God is not finished with you yet. God is not finished with you yet. Not only are your struggles important to the overall story of God's grace, but from this we also see that God is never Finished with us. He is constantly working to redeem us from our failures and sins. He is constantly causing glory to His name as He reaches into the depths of our hearts, frees us from those things which bind us, and give us the power through the Lord Jesus Christ to follow Him in obedience. God is always working in our lives. God is always calling us to a more robust faith and trust in His power and purposes. God was not finished with Jonah. And He is not finished with you either. Here we can pick up the whole story of Jonah and in so doing, I want you to see the change in Jonah from chapter 1 to chapter 3. As we read these first three verses of each of these chapters, notice the striking similarities, but also the remarkable difference between these two passages. Notice it, Jonah chapter 1. Verse 1 says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now there are a lot of similarities between those two verses, but there is one drastic difference. Obviously, the most impressive difference from chapter 1 and chapter 3 is the beginning of verse 3 in both. The beginning of 1-3 and 3-3 are identical in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, both 1-3 and 3-3 begin with, So Jonah rose. But the outcome is entirely different. Let's just read those two side by side like this so we can see that difference. You can find the, similar, or the, the verses in the insert in your bulletin if you'd like to look there. Jonah 1.3 says this, So Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah 3.3, 3, So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to... To the word of the Lord. What we learn in these verses is that God did not give up on Jonah. God did not give up on Jonah. God's purpose for Jonah was to take the message of salvation to the Ninevites, and God was determined to use him in that way. What A magnificent reality, beloved, that we have the unshakable determination of the Lord behind our sanctification. God leads Jonah through all that he needed to lead him through in order to bring him to a place where he embraces the purposes of God and follows in obedience to the Lord. You see, what we learn here in this book is that God is a God of redemption. God is a God of redemption. Brothers and sisters, might I propose to you that God desires to redeem you from whatever situation you have gotten yourself into. Whatever it is, God does not give up easily on his beloved. We've already seen in this book that God is a god slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Remember Jonah's words in Jonah chapter 4 verse 1, look at it with me. Jonah chapter 4 verse 1 says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah needs some self-awareness here in Jonah chapter 4. How soon was Jonah to forget the importance of this truth in his own life? But we'll talk about that in a later sermon. What we understand though from Jonah's own testimony and from Jonah chapter 4 verse 2 is that the Lord is committed to us and that commitment is resoundingly resolute. The Lord does not give up on His people. Rather, beloved, hear this and believe it, the Lord cannot give up on us. Actually, for the Lord to give up on those whom He has committed His covenant love would be an affront to His character and His righteousness. For the Lord cannot Go back on his promises. Numbers chapter 23 verse 19 says this. God is not man that he should lie. Or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Malachi chapter 3 verse 6. For I the Lord do not change. Therefore, you, O oh children of Jacob, are not consumed. Romans chapter 11, verse 29. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. God is what we would call in theological terms, immutable. Which means that God is never changes in his essence, in his attributes, in his purposes, and in his promises. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers and theologian, certainly had a way with words. And so he says in commenting on this reality of God's immutability, he says this, and you can find it on the back of the insert in your bulletin, If you would like to follow along with me, and I would encourage you to do so. Charles Spurgeon says this, God is unchanging in his promises. Aye, we love to speak about the sweet promises of God. But if we could ever suppose that one of them could be changed, we would not talk any more about them. If I thought that the notes of the Bank of England could not be cashed next week, I should decline to take them. And if I thought that God's promises would never be fulfilled, if I thought that God would see it right to alter some word in His promises, farewell scriptures. I want immutable things. And I find that I have immutable promises when I turn to the Bible. For by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, He hath signed, confirmed, and sealed every promise of His. The gospel is not yea and nay. It is not promising today and denying tomorrow. But the gospel is yea, yea to the glory. Of God. Those things that were true of God yesterday, those things that are true of Jesus Christ and His grace to us yesterday are as true today as they will be throughout all of eternal glory. And we can bank on that. Hear that again, beloved, and believe it this morning. The Lord does not cannot give up on you and on me. He attends to us. He orchestrates our affairs to bring about the most glory to His name and good to our own souls. God will never leave us nor forsake us. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6. God does leave the ninety-nine. To attend to the one, for it is, it is not his will that he should lose any of his little ones. Matthew chapter 18 verse 12. Beloved, God is not finished with you yet. He is not finished with you ever. Amen? Which means wherever you find yourself right now, right this morning, in this very moment, God desires to bring about redemption in your life. He desires to see you overcome those sins which so easily beset you and to fix your gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He desires for you to repent of your sin and enter into a greater trust and dependence upon His redeeming power. Now let us be sure of what we are not saying this morning. We are not saying that the promises of God's forgiveness and redemption gives you a license to sin. That is to say that you continually use the patience and long-suffering of God to justify your continual and blatant sins. It usually sounds something like this. Well, I know I keep sinning. But the Bible says that God's forgiveness is limitless. Now, as true as that statement is, it comes from a heart that has not been transformed by the good news of Jesus and His ability to free us from our sin and to grant us the power to forsake our sin and to obey God from a new and regenerate heart. This was at the heart of Paul's preemptive strike to his dissenters in Romans chapter 6. Turn over with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Again, if you're following along in the chair Bible, it's on page 886. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 says this, What shall we say then? dead to sin, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness for sin will no longer have dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace what is paul's point here in romans chapter 6 his point is that grace leads you away from sin not into sin but away from sin and into Heartfelt obedience. Why? Because grace does away with that thing which fed your desire to disobey, namely the old self or the flesh. In the gospel, the good news of what Christ has accomplished for us in the cross and the resurrection. The furnace that fed the fire of your sin has been smothered. And a new fire has been lit. But not a fire towards sin and rebellion, but a fire to fuel your worship and service of God. Beloved, the responsibility of every Christian is to continue to tamp out the old man, or as Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, put him to death, and to fan into flame the new man, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. Here's the point of this mini-sermon. God is eternally merciful and forgiving. God is eternally committed to His people. God is persistently giving us opportunity after opportunity to take advantage of His grace and granting forgiveness when we mess up. And we should grant others that very same forgiveness. But the grace of God leads us to a greater expression of obedience as we continue to trust in Christ and the work that He has done In us through His Spirit. When we mess up, it gives us the opportunity to revisit those promises which God never relents from again and again and again and again. It gives us the opportunity to put to death the old and identify and embrace and submit to and live out of the new man. God is perpetually calling each one of us to trust in Christ. And as we do, we even walk as he walked. 1 John chapter 2 verse 6. And we see that in Jonah's life. God had done a miraculous work in the life of Jonah and it fueled him on to a greater trust and a greater obedience to the Lord. Now there's a third sermon in these verses that I want to address just very quickly this morning. Not only does your whole story matter, not only is God not finished with you yet, but thirdly and finally, God's grace is abundance. God's grace is abundance. God's grace is not reserved for a few. It wasn't merely for Jonah. It wasn't merely for the Israelites. It wasn't merely for the Ninevites. God's desire to redeem is extensive. It is liberal. And it is extended to all. Notice in our text... Jonah chapter 3, verse 3, especially the end of verse 3, says this So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah gives us a very interesting detail here, one that many commentaries tend to conflict with and discuss in different ways. Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, we see in the text. There are several things that Jonah probably is communicating here, but one that I think is the most obvious is that God's desire was first to extend His mercy and grace to this large city. And furthermore, to use Nineveh as a possible launching point for the proclamation of His glory to all of the surrounding provinces. Much like God in the New Testament, Nineveh would have had many travelers and visitors due to its importance in Jonah's day. And therefore, God's desire for Nineveh was to use it as a hub to send out the message of His goodness and grace to all around. God desires to see the fame of His name spread and the riches of His love to be enjoyed by many. Beloved, the love, grace, and mercy of God is not something that we ought to keep to ourselves. God wanted Jonah to take the gospel to this great city and God wants us to take the message of His enduring love and powerful salvation to as many as possible. God wants to see your neighbors and your families, coworkers, friends, fellow students, and yes, even your acquaintances to come to know the love of Jesus christ the savior especially during this time of year we have a unique opportunity in our culture during the christmas season because everyone celebrates christmas and therefore with each opportunity that we talk with someone else we are given a platform to declare what christmas is all about. It's not necessarily about gifts and presents or even time with family. It's about shedding and spreading the good news of the gospel to all in whom we encounter. That is the reason for the season. God's desire is to see His message proclaimed to the world. And He is calling each one of us To declare that grace even throughout our whole story to those around us. In order that they might come to know the goodness and power of God's salvation themselves. And how do they come to enjoy that salvation? It is through the word proclaimed and faith exercised. And that's where we will go next week, Lord willing. Let us pray together. Father, what a marvelous grace it is for us to see this morning in this text, just your unending mercy and attention to your people. Father, even to the world as we think about the marvelous opportunities we have during this holiday season to proclaim Christ as King. To proclaim the one who came and took on flesh who was born.